Welcome to the Southside Sermons Podcast. I am Christopher Campbell, pastor of Southside Baptist Church, located in Decatur, Alabama. This message you're about to hear is from God's Word and is offered to you with this prayer that God would give you eyes to see, ears to hear, and a heart to obey His Word. May your faith be strengthened in Jesus, and may you grow in your knowledge of Him. This to me is one of the most terrifying scriptures in all the Bible. Perhaps no other scripture would cause us to examine ourselves like this text. Here at the end of the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew chapter seven, verses 15 through 23. Jesus says this, beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly, are ravenous wolves. You will recognize them by their fruits. Are grapes gathered from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? So every healthy tree bears good fruit, but the diseased tree bears bad fruit. A healthy tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a diseased tree bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus, you will recognize them by their fruits. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do many mighty works in your name? And then will I declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. This is God's word. Let's pray. Gracious Heavenly Father, we ask that you would give us eyes that we might see, ears that we might hear, and hearts that we might obey your word. We ask this in the name of Jesus Christ, your Son. Amen. I want us to hear again these words revealed in verse 22. Jesus says, On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do many mighty works in your name? When Jesus says, on that day, he's speaking prophetically of the end of the world. He is speaking of the day in which the kingdom of God comes in fullness. When all creation is restored and placed under Jesus's eternal reign. So that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. That day 
will be the prophesied day of the Lord. That day will be the day of judgment. What Jesus has been teaching in the Sermon on the Mount by way of kingdom principles and righteous priorities and revelations about our Father in heaven and the relationship we have with him through Christ the King teaches us that we need not wait and we should not wait and we cannot wait until that day to submit to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. Not when we are given this day to do just that. Repent, Jesus proclaimed, for the kingdom of heaven has come near. We pray together as a community of faith, as the church of Christ, to our Father in heaven with these words of petition. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. The road to that day is this day. The will of God may be done on earth as it is in heaven as Christ reigns in the hearts of his people. Yet in speaking about that day, Jesus repeats a sobering word from his previous sayings. Jesus employs the word poloi, the word many, to contrast the fate of the majority with the fate of the few. Jesus connects the command of this passage with the command of the previous passage and calls for situational awareness. Give me a report on your surroundings. Where are you? Who are you with? Where are you going? What are you taking with you? Are we camouflaged among the crowds, walking the popular way of most, doing what is right in our own eyes? Or are we near to Christ with cross in hand, following after him on the less traveled, difficult way. Many enter the wide gate, walk the easy way, and are destroyed. How is it possible that there are so many on the way to destruction and they do not know it? The answer is that they are deceived. They are deceived. But notice, they isn't the word Jesus uses to address the deceived. Jesus does not say, I never knew them. Jesus says, I never knew you. Matthew chapter seven, verse 23 says, and then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. This is a plural you. This is a group you. This isn't a few of you. It is many of you. That means that many people, many well-intentioned people, 
many professing, confessing Christians are truly convinced that they are on the way to life, and they are not. They are deceived. Deception starts by accepting a small lie by another and grows into a big lie we eventually believe of ourselves. It's one thing to be deceived by someone else. It is a worse thing to be deceived by yourself. I sent out a letter in the first few months of pastoring this church to members who haven't been seen or heard from in a very long time. This did not go out to our homebound members who uh, are on our homebound list, but it went to our non-homebound members who haven't made an appearance in over a decade, some multiple decades. It was a checkup letter, a way of asking with pastoral concern, what is your status? How are you? I'm the new pastor. Where are you? Are you still with us? Have you moved? Have you united with another fellowship? Being the new pastor, I had a little leeway to do that because I didn't know anybody. And I felt I was on pretty safe ground going for the group that had been distant for decades. Well, we received several gracious responses back. Some had indeed moved away. Others had indeed joined other fellowships. And many churches today do not receive members by transfer of letters, so we here never receive a request or we're told of that person's leaving. Well, several months passed and I answered a call from a man that had received that letter. And he came out swinging. He was mad as a hornet through the phone. You take my name off that roll if you want to, just go ahead and do it. And I had never said we would. I've been a member of that church for however many years, just go ahead, take me off. He was mad. So I introduced myself and the reason for the letter. I asked him when the last time he attended was and he couldn't remember, it had been so long. I asked him if he intended to attend again and he said no. I said, do you pray? No. Do you read your Bible? No. I asked him if he knew the Lord. He said, yes, and proceeded to tell me how the Bible nowhere says he has to go to church. And with care for his soul, I began to quote to him the words of scripture. He told me to stop, he had none of it. He didn't wanna hear it. He was deceived. He was convinced that he knew the Lord but he had no relationship with the Lord. He didn't even know it. Somewhere, some time ago, someone told him that he only had to profess knowing the Lord and he would be saved. And he believed that and then began to live that so that over the course of time, he began to convince himself of that. He was deceived by someone else and eventually became a deceiver of himself. Many will be destroyed because many are deceived. 
An actor can pretend so well that they can fool anyone into believing they are someone that they are not. But an actor that pretends too often can even fool themselves into believing they are who they are not. It's one thing to be deceived by another. It is a worse thing to be deceived by yourself. And so Jesus begins with a command of warning. He says, beware of false prophets. Beware of false prophets. That word beware, when found in scripture, means to be continually ready and on guard against a lurking danger. In other words, pay careful attention. Now we only need to be told to beware the things that we are easily deceived by. Beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them, Jesus says in Matthew chapter six, verse one. For then you will have no reward from your Father who is in heaven. Beware, Jesus says, of false prophets. Beware of people, Matthew chapter 10, verse 17. Beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and the Sadducees, Matthew chapter 16, verse six. And then listen to these words from 1 Timothy chapter four, verse one. Now the Spirit expressly says that in latter times, some will depart from the faith by devoting themselves to deceitful spirits and teachings of demons. What does Jesus say to beware of? What does Jesus say his followers are to pay careful attention to? What may we as followers of Jesus be so easily deceived by? He says, beware of false prophets. The word is pseudo prophets. They are pretend prophets. By the way, this is why James chapter three, verse one says, not many of you should become teachers, my brothers, for you know that we who teach will be judged with greater strictness. We should not make it so easy for someone to be put in a position by which they might become such a false prophet, not knowing what they're doing, not understanding what they're speaking about misleading others and ultimately themselves. Jesus gives us insight into what we have difficulty seeing with eyesight. Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. You see, we cannot rely upon what we can see. Outwardly, the false prophet the pseudo-prophet, the pretend prophet, looks like a gentle, conforming sheep. But Jesus sees what we cannot. Jesus sees what is on the inside, the inner being. Inwardly, he says, they are ravenous wolves. That is, they are destructively vicious. When Satan slithered up to Eve in the Garden of Eden, he clearly was not perceived as a threat. 
He entered into the serpent. He disguised himself as something not threatening. But who he really was was never changed by his disguise. Behind that serpent was the father of lies, the accuser of the brethren, the thief come only to steal, kill, and destroy, the antichrist, the ruler of darkness, a liar, and Eve and Adam with her took him at his word only later to see his fruit. They passed the bill so that they could see what was in it, as our congressional leaders tell us today. Jesus teaches that we will not recognize a false prophet by their appearance. We won't. And because we can't recognize them by their appearance, we may not be able to discern the true nature of their words. The enemy contradicts the truth with half-truths that are so subtle, they're easily believed. They easily lead people astray. And this is why very practically, as we find ourselves online, on social media, the ability to like a post or share a post, we need to be very, very careful what we share from those who tell us what matters to God as if they know. Beware of traps that lead you to be such a false prophet. Be very careful. Don't let people you don't know pastor you and tell you what it really matters to God without citing an ounce of scripture. We're easily deceived, and so Jesus says, you will recognize them by their fruits. Are grapes gathered from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? So every healthy tree bears good fruit, but the diseased tree bears bad fruit. What Jesus is saying is that in order to tell if a prophet is a false prophet, you have to wait and you have to watch. You have to test that person. You have to see if what they say comes to pass, and with that, you have to see if they live by what they say. Are they acting or are they the real deal? This is the principle of righteousness at work, like for like. The fruit is the visible expression of the root. This is why we shouldn't hop around to different churches, just like millennials do with changing jobs. Work a few weeks, quit, find another job. Stay a few years, quit, find another church. When we do that, we submit ourselves to spiritual authority of a new teacher, a new pastor that hasn't been tested. We don't get to see what kind of fruit comes from that. We need to commit and stay so that we can watch and wait and not be a people who are so easily deceived. For Jesus says, you will recognize them by their fruits, you will. You will recognize what is on the inside when it comes out and it will come out as fruit. But, the, but Lord, we may ask, can't a bad tree have some fruit that is good? 
I mean, most of the fruit looks good here. Just one bad apple. It's like a block of moldy cheddar cheese. Let's just take a knife and cut off the mold and the rest of the block is good. Let's just take off one branch, cast that bad fruit away and enjoy the rest. Just because there is one bad fruit on the tree doesn't mean the whole tree is bad, does it, Lord? And Jesus already anticipates this way of thinking and so he says, he answers, verse 18, a healthy tree cannot, cannot, cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a diseased tree bear good fruit. The problem is down deep in the roots. There's a disease if there's a bad fruit. And in verse 19, Jesus says, every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. It will be utterly annihilated because it's bad at the root, it's a bad tree, it will be burned. Capping it off again with repetition, Jesus says again, verse 20, thus you will recognize them by their fruits. Yes, in that day of judgment, you will recognize them by their fruits, but also even now. Remember the preaching of John the Baptist who proclaimed, Matthew chapter three, verse 10, even now, the ax is laid to the root of the trees. Every tree, therefore, that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. What will happen on that day is already happening in this day. May God give us eyes to see. I lament to share with you, as an example, the late Ravi Zacharias, a well-known apologist, a worldwide ministry now falling apart after his death upon the revelation that he abused women. Now God knows the truth of what happened or didn't happen. But what is left of his ministry and legacy is in shambles. His ordination was revoked. His name is being stricken from letterhead and buildings and signs. The damage is done. And in reflecting upon this, Ray Comfort, uh, he commented by saying that he was saddened when he saw this transpire, but he was not surprised. For there was something noticeably absent from Ravi's messages, especially in recent years. Ray Comfort says there was no talk of sin, righteousness, and judgment in his teaching. As Martin Lloyd-Jones said of false prophets, there's no straight gate or narrow way in his teaching. If you listen to someone and don't ever hear about sin and righteousness and judgment, the taking up of one's cross and following Jesus, the tribulations and difficulties of this life, you are not receiving the truth. If you pray, our Father in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And you have not submitted to the reign of Christ in your own heart. You're a blasphemer of the worst kind. Uh, as G. Campbell Morgan said, the blasphemer of the sanctuary is worse than the blasphemer of the slum. 
Because you're deceived. No one believes they are a false prophet because he or she is deceived. That's why they look and dress like sheep. That is why Jesus does not focus so much here on their teaching and words. He focuses on their actions, their works. The good fruit is the good works. As Janine Brown observes, she says, it's not good fruit of prophetic words or even miraculous deeds that are in mind here. Instead, good deeds are best identified with those that have been given priority already in this sermon. Actions such as seeking reconciliation, faithfulness in marriage, non-retaliation, prayer and love for enemy, giving to the poor, and fasting. A true prophet will live out the basic teachings of Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount. And who is a true prophet? Jesus is. Jesus not only speaks of reconciliation, he makes it possible for us to reconcile one to another by reconciling us to God by his death on the cross for our sin. Jesus not only speaks of faithfulness in marriage, he makes it possible for us to be faithful by showing us what it looks like with his bride, the church, and himself giving for her. Jesus not only speaks of non-retaliation, he makes it possible by demonstrating it when he was beaten and nailed to the cross and mocked and taunted to come down by those who crucified him. And he could have called legions of angels to bring swift judgment then. I mean, in the Old Testament, the ground would swallow up hundreds of rebellious people. Jesus didn't do that. He didn't retaliate. There was an earthquake, but the ground didn't swallow anyone up. It was God's mercy. He didn't retaliate, at least not in that moment, because Jesus waited in view of that day. And he teaches us how to live in the waiting, how to pray, how to give to the poor, how to fast, all actions that require seeing by faith beyond this moment, living this day in light of that coming day. Not everyone, Jesus says in verse 21, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. G. Campbell Morgan again says this, you took my name to make your name. You took my name to work your miracles. You took my name for certain self-centered purposes, but you did not know me and I did not know you. This word, Lord, 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 it's a generic address. It's much like the word, sir, a sign of respect. But in Matthew, it's used of disciples of Jesus, speaking to Jesus. 
It's a discipleship word, Lord, which makes this verse all the more terrifying. For the ones who call out to Jesus and call him Lord are deceived. Addressing Jesus as Lord alone does not save anyone. Does that shock you? Jesus calls for a better righteousness, a greater righteousness than that of the scribes and Pharisees, a righteousness that is known in the bonds of a relationship. Relationships are built on the way, not in that day. If you bow the knee to the Lord because of his judgment, it's too late. Everyone will do that. Malachi chapter three verse two says, but who can endure the day of his coming? And who can stand when he appears? For he is like a refiner's fire and like fuller's soap. It's too late. You will bow with the heavens and the earth and everything under the earth. No one will stand in that day. And the many who entered the wide gate now are told to depart. And then, First, will I declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. The gospel of Jesus Christ proclaims that you do not have to wait to have peace with God. Romans chapter 10, verse nine, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. You'll be saved now, you'll be saved tomorrow, and you'll be saved in that day. You'll be saved forever by the blood that will never lose its power, the blood of Jesus shed for us on the cross, saved by his burial and resurrection. And we who are in the faith, who have taken up our cross and followed Jesus, we have peace with God. And this peace is what we now celebrate together in communion with him. 2 Corinthians chapter 13, verse five says, examine yourselves to see whether you are in the faith. Test yourselves. But do you not realize this about yourselves, that Jesus Christ is in you, unless indeed you fail to meet the test? Galatians says it this way, be not deceived. God is not mocked. Whatsoever a man sows, that will you also reap. As these words are sung, would you submit yourselves to prayerful examination? The invitation for salvation is open, but only as long as it is called today. Thank you again for listening to this message. 
I pray that God would accomplish his purpose in you through the preaching, hearing, receiving, and believing of his word. If you wish to share any comments or questions about the message you have heard, please call Southside at 256-353-8814 or visit us on the web at southsidebaptist.net. Also, make sure to subscribe or follow this podcast to receive a new message each week.